Um, good morning to all. Uh, today we are going to take a break. If you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, uh, we have been doing Galatians, which is uh, just a, a wonderful epistle. Um, can't wait to get back and hear what Pastor Eric has to say in, in his portion of scripture. But uh, today uh, I want to talk about something a little different. Uh, we're, we're in this like uh, post-summer season, as you could feel it, right? We're, we're getting into the 50s now. And uh, <laughs> yes, and um, I'm not sure what that means, but on my way to church, I did have three skeletons waving hello to me. And I was like, I don't know where to process that. So we're, we're going to talk about that today. And, and really, the question is, what, what do we do with Halloween? What do we do with this thing? And um, I, I would hope this sermon kind of lends some guidance uh, to that question. What do we do with Halloween? Now, as you know, and you may be rendering yours in the mix in this soup, is that there are many opinions, right? Christian and non-Christian opinions that kind of jump into the fray as far as lending their biblical or even non-biblical perspectives of what this thing is, what this thing Halloween. And, and the other part of it is that when you start to look at the history, it's varied. It has all kinds of history. There's all kinds of veins and arteries that kind of run and make this thing. Uh, it's like an amalgam, like this just big soup that has come together, and now we have the form of Halloween that we have before us. Uh, the other thing, too, is that we don't have kind of real clear biblical advice on this. It's not like I, like I looked in the back of the Bible for Halloween. I didn't find it. I was just trying to, let me just give them what the Bible says. You know, it's not clear like, like adultery. It's clear, you know, but we, we don't have like that Google Maps for this type of topic because it kind of falls into an area where we have to look at context and we have to look at the times that we live in and we have to put all that together. But nonetheless, uh, we're going to take an honest view of this. And I would ask that if your view is different, uh, as all our views are, that we would, as God asks us, to extend grace to each other extend understanding to each other, extend something that goes beyond the Halloween day, because you know what, it is only one day, and then we gotta see each other the next. So let, let's uh, consider that as we look at it. And <clears throat> now if you consider that Halloween is just costumes and candy, uh, I'm gonna present a little history for you, and it's, it's, I want you to see that it is a little something more. There is something more there. Um, and I'm going to take us back to biblical times, because when you, you speak of Halloween, you're speaking of pagan rituals, and paganism kind of goes way back. Actually, pagan is a word that is, is kind of nondescript. It's very vague but we're gonna to try to drill down and get a, a little bit of what it means. But in the biblical times, it basically meant everybody who was not Israel, everybody who was not Christian was referred to as pagan. So they may not have had deities that they bowed down to, though chances are most of them did, 
That's what they considered someone who was pagan, someone who was not Jewish or someone who was, as you move into the New Testament, not Christian. So if we go back and we consider the pagan worship of the Old Testament, Baal, Dagon, Asherah, Diana, Amon, these sound familiar to you? They are from the Old Testament, but they don't have any bearing today, right? So I said, do they sound familiar? Because they may not sound familiar to you, because I'm going back in history thousands of years. But when we consider those gods or those deities, small g, uh, they were attached to something. They all were. They were attached to fertility. They were attached to wind and rain and earth and war and all the things that made up human existence, human life, the things that, you know, if, if we had it in modern day, I'd probably have one to keep uh, the god of my working car. You know, it would be something attached to something that I deal with on a daily basis. And this is where we get drilled down into paganism because paganism, when you look at it then and now, it kind of holds the same line, which is it's kind of a, a if you talk to a pagan, they'll, or, or I'll, I'll break that down, but if you talk to someone, it's very spiritual. It's tied into the earth. It's tied into animals, right? Animal forms, the spirit animal. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, manifesting this spirit animal. Paganism nowadays is a huge umbrella. It includes now witchcraft. It includes this thing called neo-paganism, which is basically, hey, I want to bring the old gods back. Uh, it includes Wiccaism or Wiccans. Um, Druids, I mean, who knows what a Druid is? That's going back 2,000 years, and yet they're making a comeback, and none of us knew. Um, but this is what paganism is now. It's, it's, it's so broad. New Age falls under paganism. These are things we should be aware of. And the other part is that you say, well, that's kind of remote. That's kind of, no, it isn't remote. I would bet money that there is a witch chapter here in Essex County. Because by the modern use of our phones and media and social media, these things which were little sects in little villages now have platforms, and now people say, hey, you're a neo-pagan? So am I. Let's get together. And that's exactly what happens. Romans 1.22 speaks of this, though. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So Romans had already a glance when you think about what these considerations are in these other religions. But let's move the clock forward to a couple of thousand years, and now we have what's called the Celtic Druids. And now we get an a, a even closer look of where this Halloween comes from. The Celtic Druids, they would have a ceremony, a festival called Samhain. It's not spelled that way. Um, 
and this would mark the beginning of their Celtic year. And the festival would bring an end to the summer. So we would get all the crops and the grains that we would have, and we would burn them to the gods, as sacrifices to the gods. They would burn animals sometimes as well. And here is the crossover now. The Celtic Druids felt like this was a time when the natural world barriers could be broken and the supernatural could now cross over. The Celts believed that the dead during this time of Halloween could walk the earth and that this is the time when I should consult them because I could get these secrets to the future. So you have this real thing, these real ceremonies that were tied to Halloween. And, and a lot of scholars believe that it's here where you have the association of ghosts. And here's where you have the association of, you'd have every association. You'd actually have the association where they would hull out animals and they would put the animal carcasses as costumes on their bodies, right? Because bad spirits, they didn't want to come and they wanted these costumes to scare away those spirits. So you, would, you see a little traces and they would hull out the, the vegetables, right? And where, where do we see that? In the pumpkins. And the light would be sometimes to draw the good spirits or the light would be sometimes to keep away the bad. And here is where you have these customs. And then the church gets involved. <laughs> kind of crazy, right? Little church history. Right in the fourth century, Emperor Constantine decides to Christianize the, the Roman Empire, and it becomes the Holy Roman Empire at that point. And what happens from his emperorship, and if you move down the line, the leaders of the time felt like, you know what? If we make everybody Christian, then we are bigger in numbers, our politic is bigger, and we are more unified. So why don't we make everybody a Christian? I'm not talking about Christianity as we know it, as a regenerative work of the Holy Spirit in the dead, which we formerly were, throwing a little gospel message in there. I'm talking about, hey, whatever your religion is, you're now a Christian. And what end up happening is you end up absorbing a lot of pagans, a lot of people who were into all forms of things. And they end up Christianizing those things. And they would say, all right, listen. All right, you can bring that in. Let's try to cut back on the sacrifices. Let's not kill any humans. And you had a tweaking of these pagan rituals. And now they became Christian. So let's take you through three days in succession that are, if you look up, the Catholic Encyclopedia, they are there, one, two, and three. And that is All Saints Day, 
right? And these, by the way, are not biblical. They don't reflect biblically. But All Saints Day is November 1st. And on November 1st, we, meaning the church, the Holy Roman Church, <laughs> pray for the dead martyrs that have gone before us. Now, there's nowhere in the Bible that says we pray for those who are dead and have gone on, right? It says it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. But that's what you do on All Saints Day. But, you know, the eve of that day is a very sacred day, and that is hallowed. That is hallowed eve, and we prepare for that All Saints Day. And what about the people that weren't saints? Some a couple of people out there that weren't saints, and maybe I could pray them out of purgatory, which is not in the Bible. We had All Souls Day. So you have this succession of days that the church said, I'm going to give a nod to that. And we have these days captured on the calendar. So let's get to America. By the time we get to America, the settlers come from England, and many of them brought their practices with them, and uh, the Germans brought things of witchcraft with them, and from Africa you had uh, um, forms of voodooism, and you had all of these things come into this melting pot, and eventually that was your starting block, but here we are today, and that's the question. Do we take all of this history now and we say, is it the same thing today? There's something called a genetic fallacy. You may have heard that. And it basically, the genetic fallacy says, do I judge things or judging things based on the origins of things? In other words, do I give a judgment on something based on how it started? Meaning, do I not go to the doctors because, you know what, they used to use leeches and I'm, I don't want anybody to leech me or bloodlet me. Do I do that? Do I have somebody look at me and say, hey man, you used to be the lowest form of humanity. Do you still look at me that way? So that is the genetic fallacy, that the beginnings of things are the same as the end of things. And I would say if we apply that rule, then folks, we better start reviewing our holidays because there's a lot of paganism in everything we do. And when you see, it's better, hey, don't look into it, all right? Don't look into birthdays. Just, just do me a favor. Don't look into birthdays. Don't look into weddings. Don't look into Christmas. Don't look into Easter. Because these things have weaved in and out and in and out. But here's the question. <clears throat> when you have the six-year-old and seven-year-old coming down the street as Iron, Woman, Iron Man and Wonder Woman, respectively, and I know Marvel Comics and DC Comics don't mix, so I, I, I'm disrespecting anyone, forgive me. But is that what those kids are thinking about? Are they thinking about druids? Are they thinking about sacrifices? Or is that what their parents are thinking about? Is that what's on their mind? I don't think so. I don't think so. So um, I do want to say something, though. Um, and as we get to, finally, the, the scripture of today, 
there's something we should be clear about. Halloween does have a connection with darkness. It does have a connection with death. And these things tend to elevate our fear. That's actually their design. Zombies, skeletons, things coming out of the grave, witches, spirits. These things in us, they increase a feeling of dread. It's terror, a feeling of horror, an impending horror. And these are the things that someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ face. The person who does not, who has refused, who has rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, has refused the message that God has provided one way to get to know him, faces a question mark all the time. And when they face death, they have these very feelings of dread. It actually becomes a horror for them. That on the other side of this life that I confidently held in my hand, there is something that I'm afraid of. I don't know what it is, but I have fear. And the fear is realized when you see the horror that you thought is the very thing that you encounter. So I say that these things are attached to Halloween, I, I, without doubt. Not politicizing it, not trying to give a view of it, but just to say that as we look at that, understand that these are the feelings that are created by this. But I've titled this message, The Only Fear we should ever have, and I would like to look at the text today. <clears throat> Proverbs 9.10, it's funny, I, I opened a Bible Gateway app, and this is the verse of today. Look at that, huh? It's finally turning around for me, thanks. <laughs> it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. So our text this morning gives us the most significant of understandings we could have in life. And it's telling us that wisdom begins with a proper, a right relationship with God. Period. I should probably end it right there. Our knowledge of the Holy One looks at God as holy and other than me. He is separate and he is apart. He is sacred. My knowledge of the Holy One. He is not mundane, he is not common, and he's certainly not ordinary. And the, the, the verse directs us that wisdom is the starting place. And if you are not there, then you ain't having the right start. It's a place of recognition and honor of who God is. And if you don't see God that way, then you are falling short of true wisdom. But the starting place is somewhere greater than that. It says, the fear of God brings me to that starting place. Now, I know, 
I know what everybody says. Yes, fear is reverence. Fear is reverence. I'm going to tell you that fear is trembling. I'm going to tell you that fear is awe. I'm going to tell you that my heart rate goes up when I'm in fear, and it doesn't mean I'm going to die. But I'm going to tell you that fear creates a lot of feelings in me, and it's not just reverence. Because when we say it's reverence, what we do is we downplay it. Because we don't want to be exposed to the greatness of God. We don't want to be exposed to that. And we would rather just say, yes, I revere God. I, I give him his place of honor. Of course I do. But the starting place is a place of awe and reverence. It acknowledges God as holy. It acknowledges God as righteous. It is everything that I am not. It acknowledges God as all those things. And it's not a cowering fear. It's not a fear of a slavic fear. It's not this fear. But it is fear nonetheless. And I think we need to recognize and understand that God has made us, right? So he has put this emotion in us. God has put this emotion in us. And you could say, well, yeah, well, fear is used for a lot of things, you know. The bear's running down the street, fear kicks in, I run away from the bear, right? That makes sense to us. But God has put fear in us, and he wants certain aspects of that fear to acknowledge him and him only. He excludes parts of fear strictly for himself. It is his. It is his fear that you should have of him. <clears throat> and he's jealous about this fear. 2 Kings 17.38 says this, And the covenant that I have made with you, ye shall not forget, neither shall ye fear other gods. I kind of... Look at Halloween in a weird way now, right? That I would have a fear for something else other than God. This thing that God has reserved for himself, that I would put that somewhere else. This fear of God. Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. This is the awe at which we should come to God. You know, when you pray over, let's say, your little peanut butter and jelly sandwich, you have come into the midst of the Holy One. You have come into the midst of the creator of the universe who maintains the order of everything we know, including all the valves and all the stuff that's going on in your body right now to keep your body upright. When you pray for that sandwich, that is the one you are coming before. And there should be a sense profound awe. There should be a little bit of nervousness in you. 
He's not going to strike you. You are his child. But, oh, man, I'm coming before the throne. You know, in, in, um, <clears throat> when Moses faced the burning bush, right? And Moses heard, I hear a voice. And remember, he goes over to the burning bush. And then God kind of clears the air for him. And he says, you are now on holy ground. And when Moses recognizes what is happening to him, if you read the narrative, Moses falls down on his face. And he doesn't get up. And God goes on and goes on. And he's explained, hey, this is what you're going to do. You're going to go to Pharaoh. You're going to go see the elders. You're going to go do this. Moses is down on his face the whole time. The whole time. He is looking at ground the whole time in fear of a holy God. And that... I will tell you is something that we don't have in this modern church. And I'm not talking about MCC in particular. I'm talking about the church, though. That we do not have a fear of the living God. Romans 3.18, if you're familiar with this, Romans 3, at the beginning of, in the beginning of chapter 3, it talks about <clears throat> the righteous and that we don't look for God and that none is righteous. And then it goes all the way down to verse 18 and it says this. It says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. And I know it's talking about unbelievers, but I will tell you, it is talking about believers also. There is no fear of God before their eyes. But we have to learn fear. And if we don't commit to it, I'm going to tell you right now, we're not going to learn it. Psalm 34:11 says, come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. And I will tell you, I am prone to not fear God, to put him in that column of the mundane and the ordinary. But God calls for more because he is worth more. When we begin to give God the awe, the respect, the reverence that he deserves, I believe we'll be able to put things in their proper perspective. That includes this question about Halloween as well. We will be able to put things in their proper perspective with a proper fear of God. Conversely, conversely, if you do not have a biblical fear of the Lord, then you are likely to question or ignore many things, even the things that God states clearly. You will ignore those things. If you don't look in his word, you will not develop that fear. It'll be whatever you think, and at that point, you have determined what you should fear and what you shouldn't. And I thought we just read that God determines that. What would that make you then? Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand? Here, I, I, I know uh, I, I wrote this quote down by A.W. Tozer. 
because I know that everyone usually wants to clutch to grace. As a matter of fact, I read a story where a college professor in a Christian school who was going to talk about something in theology, and he's just opening up the class, and he just starts to say a few things about the fear of the Lord. And it wasn't related. It was just something he, it says, and he recounts, he said, I, I just started to say this because I'm thinking, well, of course, this is you know, a bunch of Christian people in a Christian school, and of course, they're going to agree with it. And they fought back. And they couldn't believe that he talked about the fear of God. Because they believe that, no, God doesn't do that anymore. But I will tell you that the Old Testament God is also the New Testament God. It's actually one book, you know. The Old Testament God is the same God of the New Testament. Let's get back to Halloween, because I'm going to wrap it up. I would hope that you would just take this fear of God and, and, and look into it. Search your own heart. Be honest with yourself. I, I would hope that that in itself will give you some clarity if you have questions about Halloween and, like I said, other things, because trust me, there are other things. But if you said, hey, man, I, I don't know. Should I go or should I not go? I'm not sure. You didn't tell me. I have some guiding principles. And, and when you look in the Bible, in 1 Corinthians 8, <clears throat> just as a context, remember, in Corinthians, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and they are a mix of the contemporary. They are a mix of people from all over. And not only that, they are people who have formally come out of this paganistic rituals, these paganistic customs. They've come out of that. And these people have come out of that, and Paul's basically saying, hey, listen, there are going to be times where you're going to be sitting at the table and somebody's going to serve you some food. Right? If it's food that was dedicated to idols and it was brought to the marketplace and you bought it and you said, okay, I'm going to eat this food, he's saying there's no big deal there. Now, you will not go to that, uh, to that wherever that uh, place where they worship, where the food was dedicated, and you will not eat it from there. But food is food, and when that is brought to the open market, it is yours. It is yours. But he does throw some caveats in there, and he does say some things, and he says, listen, if you have a conviction that I shouldn't eat this food, you know what, I just came out of that idol thing, man, and I don't want nothing to do with it. Then you should be led by your convictions. Now, it is your convictions. It is not your convictions for somebody else. They are your convictions, and you be guided by that. He also says that there is a freedom we have in Christ, and we are not bound to these things. But I won't let my freedom of Halloween cause my brother to sin if it's got him all blocked up. I won't do it because I care for my brother even more than I care for myself. 
So in that sense, when we look at 1 Corinthians 8 as a model, nobody should be constipated about Halloween. Yeah, I use that word. Nobody should be. Because I consider you more than me. And God has already given me the freedom. And he's told me that I could eat if I choose to. But I will give you three other guidelines. If you decide, hey, man, but I, I really want to be the Hulk. <laughs> you know? If you decide I want to do this, <clears throat> then I would say you be guided by your Christian walk. In other words, I'm not going to participate in things that do not bring glory to Christ. I'm not going to dress provocatively. I'm not going to participate in things that would be a stain on the gospel. I just won't do that. These are the guiding principles that bring us through life every day, and they should. They absolutely should. What about as a church? Well, you know, on Halloween, there's going to be a bunch of people walking down this street who will never enter these doors. Ephesians 5.15 says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. I think it would be a grand use of time, and I know Pastor Eric is heading it up, that we would be a face of the church for those who walk by. That we would be seed planters for those who walk by. That when they come by here on that hallow's eve, that those doors are not closed, they're not locked, and the lights are not out. That is my feeling on that. And the Bible's clear. So with that, pray with me. And uh, we'll close it out. Dear Lord, um, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for calling us to fear you because you are good. <laughs> Thank you for calling us to fear you because you are love. To fear you because you are holy. To fear you because there is no other way. Thank you, Lord, for guiding us. I know we do things in a very feeble manner, but I know in your word you say that this is the starting block. This is where the race begins, the fear of God. Give us that wisdom, Lord. Give us that understanding of the Holy One that in a way we would look at you and we would be in awe every time. When we come into this place of worship, that we would be in awe, that we would be like Moses on our faces. Help us be that, Lord. Make our hearts to be that. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your freedom. Thank you for your grace, Father, as we look at this day that comes up known as Halloween. We pray that we could be a light, bushel free, a light that shines bright for all to see. 
And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.